Okay, uh, this morning we continue our study through Proverbs by looking at chapter 5. Uh, again, if you don't have a note sheet, you can grab one off the table on the back there. This chapter focuses in on the danger of adultery. And you may remember from last week, Will walked us through chapter 4. And one of the verses toward the end of that chapter uh, said this. Chapter 4, verse 23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. So what we saw last week was how the father was admonishing his son to guard his heart, uh, to keep a very close watch on it, uh, because the way of the heart is the way of life. Uh, what, what is within the heart is ultimately going to manifest itself in how we live. And so the necessity of, of guarding our hearts. And then as we come out of chapter 4 there, chapter 5 lands on the scene as almost like a test case for the necessity of guarding your heart. Now the topic of adultery that chapter 5 deals with and its horrific consequences is not a new admonition from the father to his son here. If you remember back in chapter 2 in verses 16 through 19, uh, the father warned his son about the forbidden or the strange woman that is the adulteress and the reality of where she is headed and that is to death and, and all who follow her will suffer the same destination. Uh, so similar warnings are repeated in these discourses from the father to the son, as well as we'll see uh, in, in a couple of weeks when we work through the second half of chapter 6 and all of chapter 7 is, is devoted to that as well. Um, so with that, let's begin by looking here at uh, chapter 5. The father begins here um, in a very familiar way that he has in other admonitions to his son as he's dealing with this discourse on the folly of adultery. He says this here, in verse 1, my son, be attentive to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding. And, and again, what you hear here is that this, this pleading with the son to pay attention to what the father is saying. And we don't want to lose sight of that because we can see the repetition of it throughout Proverbs and we can kind of say, okay, he's just going to plead with him again. But again, just feeling the weight of that afresh of this father pleading with his son to give full attention to the words that he is speaking. And, and every parent feels the weight of this. And even if you're not a parent, but just as one who is older than the generation who's coming behind you and, and your desire for them to live wisely in, in a way that's honoring to God, there's this information that you long to impart to those under you because of the unspeakable importance of that information. And that is amplified in the parent-child relationship. Uh, the father, throughout his life, has gained knowledge of things, right? He's experienced things. He's seen things that the son hasn't, at least not at the same level or to the same degree. And so this, the, the father here has this fervent desire to impart this wisdom to his son so that the son will avoid the danger that is 
before him and live a life that's honoring to the Lord. So his desire is that the son locks in on his words, right? That, that he just wants his son to be riveted with what he is saying to him. And he does this so, as verse 2 says here, that the son may keep discretion and so that his lips may guard knowledge. What's being spoken of here is that when the son or when the father's instruction is heard by the son, it's so internalized as all wisdom should be that when the son does speak, he does so out of the instruction that he has received. As we'll see, the lips or the speech of the adulteress or the forbidden woman may come to this young man, and if and when they do, he must know in his heart how to respond to such a wicked invitation. And, and again, as I mentioned in my prayer, even though adultery is being spoken of specifically here, this applies to all sin generally. And it's, and it's this reality, in order to avoid sin, we must internalize, not just hear, right? Because James warns us about that. We can become professional hearers of the Word of God, right? We must internalize what we hear, the words of God, so that when enticement to sin arises, whatever that sin may be, we know how to properly respond to it in a way that honors and glorifies God. That, that, that's the aim of what the Father is seeking to impress upon his son. So the father starts by calling his son, give full attention to my words. Internalize these things that I'm saying. Guard them in your, in your heart, my son. And in so doing, you will be wise. And the need for that is vital because fools, like this adulterous woman here, are going to come along and seek to destroy you. And so the father wants to show him, as it says there on your notes, the first thing here, and that is the promise of adultery. And, and there are two aspects to this. There's the false promise and the real promise. We see the false promise in verse 3, where the father says this, For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey. And her speech is smoother than oil. So this, this forbidden woman or this strange woman promises much pleasure to the son. Uh, her words are very appealing. right? You get that imagery there of the honey dripping from the honeycomb, which was the purest and sweetest honey. It's coming right from the source. It's, it's unfiltered, so to speak. Okay? And so it's very appealing, very alluring. You've probably heard of people, it was a phrase that we use at times, um, as sweet talkers, right? Because what they say sounds very appealing. But there's something behind those words that's hidden and dangerous, even deadly, as we see here with this with this woman. And that's, that's what this woman is. She's a, she's a sweet talker, right? She's got all the right words for this son. And then the father goes on and he uses another imagery to describe 
her words, that they're smoother than oil. And when you look throughout scripture, you see that that's a metaphor for deceitful flattery. So she's saying all the right things here to entice this young man. And what the father is trying to show the son is that without discretion, without the discretion that he needs to gain from taking heed to his father's instruction and being able to answer this wicked, wily woman, he will not be able to withstand her enticement. That is what he's trying to help him understand. He's trying to show that if the son, if he disregards his father's words and he he doesn't give heed to them, he's not going to be able to resist this false promise of sin. And again, this this concept is not something that's new here in Proverbs, is it? Uh, We just trace this all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And that's the same thing that you have going on there. there. There's this war of words that's taking place throughout the scripture. These competing worldviews. Are we going to hear and internalize the wisdom of God? Or are we going to give in to the sweet-sounding, smooth-talking words of the serpent? That's what you see back in Genesis chapter 3. And that's what you see the Father bringing to bear here in Proverbs chapter 5. And truly, that is the battle against all sin. Uh, Within our hearts, those conversations begin to arise, right? That's why we talk about the necessity of meditating upon the Scripture, because you're always meditating on something. Something's going on in your mind constantly. And the necessity is to have our, our minds girded up with the Word of God. So whose counsel are we going to listen to? We're going to listen to somebody's counsel, right? The question is, whose counsel are we going to listen to and internalize? Will it be God's or will it be someone else's? And again, what a, what a wonderful, sober, humbling reminder this is for us. Uh, we're, we're foolish to think that we can live honorably before the Lord, that we can avoid the allurement of sin, whatever that sin may be, without giving ourselves to a consistent diet and internalization of the Word of God. If we don't guard our hearts with the Word of God, if we don't store up His Word in our hearts, as Psalm 119 says, we will sin against Him. And I think we could probably just go around and give testimony about that. The folly of where we see ourselves becoming lax in the steady diet of God's Word and in the internalization of that, sin arises very quickly within our hearts. And those allurements, those counsels of our, our fallen hearts, that old man that remains, start to sound more powerful and plausible when we neglect those things that God has ordained for our sanctification. Now, as, you know, as, as you're going through um, Proverbs 5, if you're familiar with the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife, your mind may shift back there. So I want to I go there real quick and take a look at that and see what's going on in Joseph's heart because I think it's a good illustration of what the Father is getting at here. So uh, turn with me to Genesis 39. And I want to read with you verses 1 through 10. Genesis 39, 
verses 1 through 10. I'll be reading out of the ESV here. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against... Now, if you've never read the story before, and I just kind of gave you a fill in the blank, if you were totally unfamiliar with this, up to this point, Joseph's been talking about Potiphar. Right? And just talking about how he's put him in charge, he has no lack of gain, he trusts me, so on and so forth. And so you think he might say, how can I do this thing, this wickedness, and sin against him, against Potiphar? But what you see here is that Joseph recognizes there's a higher authority than Potiphar, and there's one to whom I will give an account. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Right? So there's this higher authority, there's something more that's governing Joseph's heart than Potiphar and how Potiphar might respond if he gives into this temptation that Potiphar's wife is bringing to him. And that's a great lesson for us as well. We need to be reminded that God and an understanding of who he is is ultimately what needs to govern our lives if we're to live and fight against the sin that comes before us. And so that's the same thing that we have going on here in Proverbs Five. You'll see at the end of this uh, section in Proverbs 5 that that's where the father draws this son's attention back to, back to the Lord. That's the one to whom he will ultimately give an account. So as we go to back to Proverbs 5, you can flip back there with me. Uh, the father lays out here the need for his son uh, to pay attention to his words because this adulteress is going to come. And she's going to promise much pleasure. And it will be a false promise that she is offering, as all sin is. All sin is a false promise, right? It's going to promise fulfillment. It's going to promise pleasure. And in a sense, it delivers on that in a very, very small way, as the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews 
11, the fleeting pleasures of sin, he talks about, uh, but it delivers something much different than, than what it promises, and that's what the Father wants the Son to understand in this next section. So having laid out the false promise in verse 3, he now gives, here's the real promise of what adultery will deliver in verses 4 through 6. He says, But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. Adultery promises much, as all sin does, but this is what it truly delivers. This is the true fruit. And I want you to notice here how how the Father is inspired to lay out this contrast in verse 4. So he talks in verse 3, she's she's offering this sweet taste, right? This honey dripping from the honeycomb. The sweet taste that she promised at the beginning, in the end, he said, is bitter beyond all comparison. That's the reality of it. You bite into that, you expect that it's going to be one thing, and boy, you get a completely different taste at the end. And those smooth words, notice the contrast here, those smooth words at the beginning, they reveal themselves to be sharp as a two-edged sword. So you, you get this idea here, you have the sweet and the bitter, the smooth and the sharp. And he's just laying that out for his son, pleading with him, this is what it's truly going to deliver for you, my son. As Proverbs 7.26 says, For many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Right? That's what this woman will actually deliver. But not only does she lead others to death, the father shows here, she herself goes down to death, as verse 5 said. She doesn't give thought to the path of life. She's one in the community who has abandoned the covenant of her God. As we looked back, if you remember, if you just flip back to chapter 2 and verse 17, speaking about this same woman here, it says that she forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. Right? So she's this one in the community. She's abandoned the covenant of her God and therefore the covenant with her husband. So she's given herself fully to this sin. The Father shows here she wanders aimlessly from a moral perspective. And because she's abandoned the faithful teaching of her God, she wanders aimlessly and doesn't know it. Her ignorance has stripped her of the ability to know right from wrong. That's the true promise of adultery and any other sin for that matter. Again, a a good lesson, a good reminder for us as we distance ourselves from the Word of God, from the things of God, from the means of grace that God has given, you will drift. Bank on it. It's going to happen. You will not stay neutral. There is no such thing in the Christian life. You're either going that way or this way, but you're not staying where you are. 
And that's what the father is trying to impress. Son, look at the outcome of this woman's life. This one who's enticing you, the one whose words sound so sweet right now. Look where she's headed. And all who follow her will go the same way. In the end, it will kill you, is the stark reality that the father gives here. And so having looked there at at the promise of adultery to really appreciate what adultery delivers, what we see next is the price of adultery, the price of adultery. If I can have somebody read verses 7 through 14, verses 7 through 14. Thanks, Jeremy. If you notice here, um, what's interesting right at the beginning is you have this broadening out of the audience from this one son to sons. And I think the best way to understand that is not referring necessarily to sons within a particular group, but what I think he's getting at is successive generations. Just like you see the scriptures calling back to your fathers. Well, we only truly have one father, but we would say that we have many fathers in that sense because we have come from their lineage. Bruce Waltke in his Proverbs commentary, I think makes a good point as to why this should be seen as successive generations rather than a group of present sons when he says this. In verse 8, you have the singular imperative suggesting that each successive son, not a group, is in, in view here. So the, the way that that's phrased in verse 8, it comes back to the singular there, focusing on you rather than a plural. Uh, so it makes the most sense in the context that the son or the uh, father is referring to successive generations here. So again, that, that amplifies again the concern that is on this father's heart helping this son to see your, your act and all of those who are coming behind you. I'm just giving this plea for you all to follow this way because it will only take one act of one to affect everybody else, all the generations that are to come. So he has in view here in this section the ruin of the son's wealth and later on his health as well. Uh, and, and as you think about this, as if you're a parent, you know, one of the greatest desires that you have is to provide for your child or your children, to leave them an inheritance. And the father is showing the son here that this one act of sin will squander generations of wealth. Again, another, uh, another important reminder that our sin usually has consequences beyond ourselves And sometimes it has generational consequences, as is the case here. 
Now in verse 7, again, you have this pleading again with the son and the sons who will come later to listen to what is being said, to not depart from these words. In other words, don't just listen to my words right now in this moment, but treasure them up in your heart always. They are your life, and to depart from them will lead to death, right? So again, that, that aspect of not departing from them has in mind, don't just hear what I'm saying in this moment. Let this lodge down deep in your heart, my son. Let it govern how you think, how you live, how you speak. And here is his first words in verse 8 that he gives. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. In other words, avoid her at all costs. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you're strong enough to resist her temptation. One of the ways you would seek to drive a point home or get a point across very clearly in the Hebrew language was to say the same thing in different ways, which is exactly what the Father is doing here. Keep far away. Don't go near. Right? It's, the same, it's the same thing. He's just saying it in two different ways to really drive that point home. And again, a fantastic reminder for this son and successive sons, and including us, right, to not put ourselves in situations where we will be tempted to dishonor God. Don't think yourself strong enough. Don't think, and I'm really girded up in the word. I think I can take this temptation. Let's see how strong I really am. Foolish. But, but we, can, we can have that self-talk, right? We can foolishly think that we're stronger than we are. And in the end, we always are reminded of how weak we truly are. Paul says something very similar in Romans 13, 14. He says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. No provision for the flesh. Keep your way far from here. Don't go near the door of her house. That's making no provision for the flesh. Don't give any opportunities for the flesh to rise up in rebellion against God. That's what the Father is seeking to get at here. And again, just a wonderful reminder for us. Let me think through, let me be very strategic about specific areas in my life where I'm weaker, where I'm tempted more, and let me make sure that I safeguard those as much as I possibly can and not give any opportunity for the flesh because the flesh will win as you give it opportunity to rise up in rebellion. And so he tells his son to not do this, because if he does, here's what's going to happen. Here's what the consequences are going to be. Here's what adultery is going to cost you, my son. And again, another good reminder to think through the consequences of our actions, right? As I'm, I'm thinking through whatever situation it is that you're in and the temptation that comes to sin, push beyond that and get down the road a little bit and think about what are the consequences going to be for this guilt, shame, a bunch of other things that come along with it, as the Father's going to mention here. 
And what he seeks to drive home to his son is that adultery is going to cost you physically and financially. And other ways that he's going to show. But he starts off with this. And in verses 9 and 10, we see first those who have abandoned the covenant of their God, those who would be considered outside of the community. The Father uses various terms to describe these people. Notice here in verses 9 and 10, he uses the word others, lest you give your honor to others. And then here's another way he describes them, your years to the merciless. Verse 10, strangers, lest strangers take the fill of your strength. And then at the end of that verse, and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. So others, merciless, strangers, foreigners, describing those who are outside the community. Not physically necessary, but having abandoned the covenant of their God. Now, these verses, um, commentators couldn't really nail this down exactly, all that's being said here. But what seems to be implied, or one of the things, a strong case I think could be made for this, is that there is offspring from this illicit relationship with the adulteress. And now the son is going to bear the consequences of that and having to provide for this child. And in this way, he's going to be giving his honor to others, his years to the merciless, his strength to strangers, his labors to the house of a foreigner. Again, the father here trying to drive home the point that what he's going to have to pay for this sin will literally be consequential for the rest of his life. We don't often think about the ramifications of our rebellion enough in these type of ways. We, we, we're very good at deluding ourselves in thinking that sin won't be that costly and believing that lie. But the Father is showing him here just the opposite. He's pleading with him about this. Here's what is going to happen if you go down this road. And again, that, that's, that's a, another blessing of being in community with each other is that we can help one another see what the foolish consequences will be for our actions when we're often short-sighted in thinking about those. We can lovingly come alongside each other and say, have you really thought about this? What ultimately this is going to, to cost? The way that you would dishonor God in this way? So, Father lays out very clearly for him, here's, here's the cost of this, financially, physically, and then he goes on here, he says also it's going to cost him mentally, as we see here in verses 11 through 14. Notice he says here, at the end of your life, you groan, right? There's this, this cry of mental anguish and exhaustion that comes from the remorse and the regret of this act of adultery of which he can now do nothing about. He, he can't undo what he has done, and he's paying the consequences for that. It costs him relationally. He says here that he was on the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Uh, what he did in private has been made shamefully public. His reputation forever marred. So the father's just laying out here, Think of all the ways that this is going to cost you should you travel down this path. 
The point, again, that the Father is driving at here is that this act of sin will have far-reaching consequences beyond what you can imagine. It will affect every part of your life. You'll not be able to escape the consequences and shame of this rebellion. Now, forgiveness is possible, and we'll get to that in a little bit, but much better to take heart how to prevent adultery then travel down that road and reap the consequences of it. And that's the last point there on your outline, the prevention of adultery. Somebody can read verses 15 through 20 here. Thanks, Dave. So you, you see this transition now with the father kind of switching his strategy, right? He goes from warning about wicked behavior to encouraging this righteous behavior in the context of sexuality. And the idea that he's conveying here is that the best defense against the temptation of the foreign woman is a healthy vibrant relationship with one's proper sexual partner, the wife, right? So the scriptures in no way discourage sexual relations. It just puts it in its proper context, and that is the relationship between the husband and the wife. And, and, and you notice here, the father is not bashful at all right? when he uses all this, these metaphors to describe the joyful pleasurable intimacy between husband and wife. These are gifts from God to be celebrated by the husband and wife in that proper context. This section here, if you're familiar with the Song of Solomon, it's, it's reminiscent of that as you read through the language that's used there in, in the Song of Sol- Solomon, very vivid and clear showing the blessing that God has given in this covenant relationship between husband and wife. So he doesn't seek to just warn him and say, don't do this. He says, man, look at what God has given you. Look at the blessing that he has given to you, my son. And so he uses this very vivid language here. I love this. Be intoxicated always in her love. Be lost in that, my son. That is where the Lord wants your heart. That's the proper avenue that he has given you to enjoy this relationship and to enjoy what he has given in sexual union. And then in in verse 20 here, the father makes his point most clearly when he says, in effect, in the delight of one's wife, why should the son pursue sexual pleasure in the arms of another, considering all the dangers and consequences that he's just laid out? He reasons with him again but, uh, about the utter foolishness of such a decision. 
just lays out this beautiful imagery here. Son, think of the wife of your youth whom God has given to you. Delight yourself in her. Why would you turn away from that beauty that God has given and seek to find that fulfillment elsewhere and all the horrific consequences that will come along with that should you choose to travel that road? But listen, isn't that the allurement of sin and toward our sinful natures? Again, it shows the discontentment that can so easily arise within our hearts about the good gifts that God has given to us and to seek to turn away from that and find pleasure in things that God has forbidden. And again, it's not a new, it's not a new thing. We just go right back to the garden. Adam, all of this is yours. Enjoy it. Accept that. Right? It's the same thing. It's just another situation. And that's what all sin is. God has given us many things to enjoy, but our hearts become quickly discontent with those things, and they seek things that God has forbidden, and therefore the necessity, brothers and sisters, to guard our hearts always and recognize the beautiful things that the Lord has given to us. So the Father here talks about this aspect of of the prevention of, of adultery, but notice here that he saves his most powerful argument for last. And this is what I alluded to back at the beginning of this chapter when we looked at the issue with Joseph and Potiphar's wife. The father up to this point has warned his son about the human ramifications of such folly, right? So he's, he's just looking at this mainly on a horizontal level. And he says, if you do this, here's what's going to happen on a horizontal level. But but then he lifts his son's eyes up at the end here. And he wants to help him to see something greater that should be governing his action. So he says, uniting with this woman might look and sound good, but it's going to have bitter consequences. That relationship's going to lead to death rather than life. It's going to drain you in every conceivable way and bring contempt and shame to you. And as bad as all those are, there's a greater motivation, my son, for not entering this illicit relationship. And it is because of what we see in verses 21 through 23. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he's held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. So, my son, let if you've not been compelled by the things that I've shared here, let me lift that a little bit higher and remind you, God is watching, and because he is, the wicked will not escape, right? You may be able to do that in private, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. The one who engages in this, my son, who who dives into this, who follows after this, he will die because he has refused to heed the voice of discipline And his great folly will ultimately lead him to death. So again, he wants to heighten the reality for his son that that the Lord is over this. 
my son. He sees all things. As a human father, I don't see all things, but the Lord, and he ponders all our paths. There's not, there's not one that's unnoticed before him. And as believers in Christ, that is our great desire, is to honor our Father. Amen? That's what we want to do when we think about what he has done for us in Christ. So as we close this chapter here, I want to just think for a moment from a broader biblical perspective and share a few words about adultery, of what the Father is warning the Son about. First, as I'm sure was probably in some of your minds, the physical act of adultery is the fruit of lustful thinking. As Jesus says in Matthew 5, you've heard that it was said by those of old, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, whoever looks at a woman with lust in his heart has committed adultery already with her in his heart. So that, that's where it begins. When we think about sexual temptation, we must press it beyond the physical act and see where it originates, and that is in the heart. Another good reminder from the passage that Will taught on last week and that I mentioned at the beginning of this lesson in Proverbs 4.23, the necessity to keep our hearts with all vigilance, all watchfulness, keeping an eye always on what's going on within our hearts. And then secondly, adultery, either of the heart or the physical act, is not the unpardonable sin. It must be taken seriously, however. That's not a license to go do it, as it is with every sin. It must be taken seriously, however, and repented of. Because this is what we read in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So we see that this is, this is a serious thing in the sight of God, as all sin is. And those who give themselves to this practice, this is what defines who they are. They won't enter the kingdom of heaven. Those who practice this lifestyle will not do so. But for those who have looked to Jesus alone to take away their sin of adultery and every other sin, we have this glorious promise in this next verse here in 1 Corinthians 6.11. And such were some of you. Right? So whatever the sin is that once characterized who you were, be that adultery or whatever other sin that may have been, by the grace of God and the power of the blood of Christ, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I'm reminded of a line from that hymn, There is a Fountain, where it says, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty 
stands. So just a word of gospel encouragement at the end of this. If you have found yourself as described as one here in Proverbs 5, it's not hopeless. You can turn away and be forgiven and take heed to the warnings that the Father gives to the Son here and honor God in your repentance and your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, thank you for just another wonderful reminder of the seriousness and the attentiveness with which we are to give to your word. Father, we're reminded here of the need to take heed to your counsel because our hearts are too easily led astray by vain things that promise much and deliver just the opposite. Father, help us with whatever sin it is that we battle with to immerse ourselves in your word, to store up your word in our hearts so that we might not sin against you, but honor you and glorify you as is our desire, as is fitting for those who have been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. Father, how we thank you for the gospel as we read through a section of scripture like this and we are reminded of the danger of sin and we can think in our own lives of the folly of how we have walked down paths that we ought not. And Thank you for your kindness to us and calling us out of that darkness that we once lived into the marvelous light of the gospel. And we thank you how you patiently, daily work in us that which is pleasing in your sight as you continue to conform us into the image of your Son. We praise you and we thank you for all this in Christ's name. Amen.